MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John, how are you, buddy? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Good, I'm doing well. Have you got a Captain America shield in the back? I do. Look what is that I, my take a look fucking further. sword? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I don't even have one of those. That's, that's amazing. And wow. it's the one that's all chipped up on the side. <gasps> no Dude. way it was an actual fighting one, huh? I bought. A, I got a bunch of stuff from the auction. Oh, um, no two way. Two swords, which I gave one away to charity for charity auction. Nice. Then a couple of Stellas that I gave to the writing staff that I know. Oh, oh, that's like Taylor actually, Taylor actually has yours, cat. No way. Wow. That's so cool. They took mine away from me. We've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit, but because I broke <laughs> so many in season one, I just yeah. mis- mystically didn't have one. Because well, everything season in two. season one was just a little fragile. Yeah. No I don't kidding. know what you're talking about, John. I was included, <laughs> it turns out. John, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for taking it the time to yeah. come and chat to us. Happy to be a part of this all. Absolutely. Well, welcome back, folks, to Return to the Shadows. Today, we have a very special guest, one of the magical people behind the scenes of our show who we truly could not have done this without, John Rakich, our location manager. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of the show. Come on the podcast. And be part of the show, hopefully. And part of the show. (laughs) I have to to correct something. Technically, I think I'm one of the three long people that have been on the show longer than anyone else. Yeah. So the show started filming in August. I started in March of that year. Yeah. There you go. You were hired before us. Yeah, actually, we were. I remember when they were trying to cast you. <laughs> wow. Can I make it even weirder? Yeah. I was a location scout on the movie. Whoa. Well, I did know that. Yeah, I knew that you were the location scout on the movie because I feel like we've spoken about that at some point because we doubled some of the locations, right? Like we changed yeah. them, a but few. we 
Yeah, yeah. it was a couple that we used in not, both. Not too many, thankfully. Yeah, no, yeah, it's wild. There was a few things in season one I remember that were that we used in both that were very quickly in season two. Not locations, but like the swords. The swords were were swords oh, from the movie. The, the the swords, the props, mm-hmm. the glass in the institute actually was recycled from another movie. Oh wow! No way. Do you know what the movie was? Resident Evil Five. Uh, no way. Four. That makes sense yeah. because Constantine. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That all the gla- there was a huge set we had where um Mila runs through a tunnel of glass and they spent a lot of money on all this glass so they they put it in storage. And so I when know. it came time to build this set they went we have this glass and nobody thought that it wasn't the right glass it wasn't gimbaled which is why we had all those reflection problems in mm. right. one. And the heat. Yeah. <laughs> and the yes, heat. That too. Just let's we just make an oven that. and put everyone inside it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knew? Oh my Who knew? It's just the things you figure out when you're on set. But it was the it was the hilarious thing was when we saw these trailers come in that said RE on them. Like, what is? And then the stuff from the Mortal Instruments. They basically just recycled as much as they could because they kept it all. They might as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's already got all the runes on it. And then season two, we got rid of it all and fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. Before before we dive headlong into a, a reunion that we've all been longing to have. John, why don't you tell everyone at home what your position was on on Shadowhunters, what you did, what your day-to-day was? So I was hired as the, the location manager for pretty much almost all the show, which I can cover later. Um, so my the job of the location manager is we basically take the script and the concept and the ideas that the writers, the producers have in the production designer and find practical real-world locations to film this in to make it part of the story part of the character um so that literally was my job was to get the script to break it down and pitch ideas that we then see whether they work or not and then being television we then since we had most of the scripts we could see what we would go to enough times to necessitate a build what was going to be on location and then literally with the creatives try to find things that work for the story the look and then once we secure all that the location department job changes very much from creative to logistics. We're then responsible for permits, permissions, where the unit goes, where everyone eats, where the bathrooms go, all the unsexy parts of the actual making of, of a production. But wow. and so it's interesting. I, we've had a few a few different crew members on over the course of, and very often that same phrase kind of gets recycled with crew, right? Very often it's the, you know, this is the unsexy behind the scenes part. But what people need to realize is that TV shows aren't made without these unsexy parts. Like they just don't function. That's true. Because on a TV show that will remain nameless and how long ago will remain nameless. Because otherwise you can backtrack and be like, oh, he did this six years ago. This is exactly what it was. It wasn't six years ago. That's not what I'm talking about. But they didn't put, <laughs> they, they didn't have crew bathrooms. We were shooting on a, on, on a New York street. And we were, we were filming somewhere quite far away from that and it it brought everything kind of to a halt when we'd figured it out like well this or you know this needs to change and a couple of other actors were very very stringent like this is something that needs to change but it does it yeah. grinds everything to a halt all of a sudden so without yeah. all of these you know i can't say it enough i've said again i've said it before i'll sound like a broken record but without people like john these shows don't get made there's mm-hmm. you know the the actors and the directors and the producers get so much credit for for being on a tv show but like john says our job started months after his job started you know what i mean like and even you could say because you recycled so much stuff you're in a way still on that job like it's still thinking about shadow hunters like oh i wonder if we have some stuff there that we could use on this next thing or take to this next yeah you're absolutely right again the location manager in the department usually is one of the first ones hired Mm -hmm. and usually then the last ones there so i you know 
from cradle to grave were involved in every aspect by my, my department, the bathroom thing that, that grinds to a halt, 150 people need to go somewhere. Exactly. And the funny thing is here where we're based out of, there's actually law we have to follow. How many, there's, there's actually, a, I have a mathematical table that I have to keep of how many people we have, how many actual holes as they're referred to, we have to have to, to <laughs> make that state that. amazing. Yeah. How yep. many holes and do it's, we need? It, I've been on some shows where that number got huge. Mm. And, you know, the last thing you need is all of a sudden a lineup of 30 people trying to get into a porta job. Totally. Because well, exactly. then, we, where's the, you know, we're trying to shoot. Where is the director? Well, he's waiting in line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't fly well. I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, the biggest detriment to production is a loss of time. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, yeah. truly it's so many aspects of production from the creative to the logistic is all problem solving and it takes creativity and it takes, you know, a knowledge base and experience and everything that, you know, you clearly have become so well versed in to, to figure it out. So whether it's, you know, as Dom said, the, you know, the, the unsexy parts of filmmaking or not, it's all so necessary and so mm. instrumental to, to, you know, doing the, flips and things that we all love yeah and yeah. just you know the, our biggest challenge sometimes is where they want to put lights yeah you know a dp points and goes i want to light on that roof well we don't know if we can get up there it's not right. our roof yeah we can't do that it's on our roof we yeah. just can't just walk i just can't walk up there with a cord it takes time and you know yeah as you said it's, it's a lot of little yeah it's a lot of little moving pieces for what everyone ends up watching on screen that they don't see behind stage and my department is one of the ones that actually interacts with everyone's yeah, yeah. there's not an aspect of production that somehow doesn't cross like even where the hair and makeup decides to sit put their chair down mm-hmm. has to be location that can yeah. end up being a, you know something to do with well, yeah. so that sort of leads into my first question we we get these cheat sheets we get these brilliant cheat sheets and it's got all of this information and like um you know stuff that we should ask and whatever and i listen i look at that zero and i just i think of questions and that's what I do it's very <laughs> similar to how I work on set John um but uh so question number one so the it, and this has always fascinated me and I've never really found the time to ask the question because when we're shooting on like a busy street like you know in Toronto young I think we had shut down for a second there yes, what inta- what's one. what does that entail because that's you know we're shutting down a huge section of of the metropolitan area of Toronto and for anyone who's been to or lives in Toronto, it, they have sort of a, a semi one way system. So every other street kind of goes one way throughout the metropolitan. So shutting down one of those really does make a huge fucking issue. <laughs> it's a real problem yeah. in Toronto. So t- tell me, tell me a little about that. Sure. I mean, the greatest thing is that we're I'm based. You know, Toronto's a city where the the actual city is a good partner with us in production. We we tell them what we want to do, and they kind of help us figure out the best way to do it. So when we did shut down the section of Young Street, which is a main arterial road, we always knew from the beginning that it's going to have to be on a weekend. Mm-hmm. We, the, only, the only way they'll let us do it is on a Saturday or a Sunday when there's less traffic or you're less impediment to business. Mm-hmm. So it then just literally becomes us working with the city, the fire department, transit, everyone to make sure that we're not impacting our schedule works for theirs. The neighbors, the residents all know got on board and let us do what we did, which is basically shut down a block and a half of a major street and reroute traffic. The funny thing was that's actually one of the few locations where that was Matt Hastings episode. He and I got into a disagreement over that one and I'm glad I won. Really? Early on in that season, he walked into my office and said, finale, Avengers battle on the streets. And he walked away, but you would do routinely. He would just throw things to give us a heads up. So we started (laughs) pitching stuff and we took them downtown and went, well, there's this corner, there's this block, there's this block. And they didn't want to work on a Saturday because it required shifting Right. schedule and then the idea was we just build it in the parking lot mm-hmm. with green screen just green screen 
which to me is like a knife in the heart. Yeah. Because like, it's never going to look right. You're never going to have vis effects can do the world, but you can't get that sense of scale mm-hmm. um, as much as you want to try. And what happened was, is Kat, you had to, you had a conflict that meant you were had to work. You had a Saturday available because we had to get you off something faster at that point. Oh, were, that's when I was going to Maze Runner. Yeah, and that's literally why all of a sudden no one was fighting about being on a Saturday, and that wow. was like we'll do it in the back parking lot. And I literally politely argued and said it was the dumbest idea you're going to have. We can do it now. Yeah, we should just do. So we did, and it was brilliant. <laughs> it looked phenomenal. Happy to. I mean, we right. staged the traffic. We staged a traffic jam, which was even smarter because we parking lots are expensive downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that traffic jam was pretty much most of the crew's cars parked on the middle of the street. Really? That's, That's amazing. Really that I didn't know. Aside from the taxis and the buses, yeah. most of the cars there, because it, although if you think about it, that scene is just two minutes long yeah. in a traffic yeah. jam in New York City, although a lot happens in it. So the cars never have to move. So we just basically stack crew cars put in picture cars because if you watch the scene no vehicles ever move through it no that's true no they don't so that was You're right I, you know it was free that's cars so and brilliant. at the end of the day the scene looked brilliant it did oh yeah it's one of it's one of the best scenes and it gets you know replayed and re-edited over and over again mm-hmm. that's in my we personal reel i got footage from from them for it yeah that's amazing yeah. well because it has that scale and because you it you feel the city and you feel that kind of open expanse of space mm-hmm. and, and then we got the drone to go around the buildings it just yeah. looked brilliant yeah so oh, wow. again in that case much like any road closure the city really was helpful with us when we explained what we wanted to do and they that's gave good. us the permission and the, the, the storefronts all you know that we covered up we're all happy no one was really put out canadians are nice as well though yeah. that's a big part well of it done, canadians Canada. are nice you know what i mean like we 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 did we filmed the most recent show i just finished was we filmed in new york and we did a lot of stuff on the streets and there was a, there's a lot of like so we you we do things and john obviously cat you guys all know about this but for the listeners at home who may not know about this it's called a lock off which john mentioned briefly and you literally lock off for both traffic cars and traffic walking walking traffic mm-hmm. you lock off two sections of the street the top and the end and people can't travel through those but correct me if i'm wrong legally we're not allowed to stop pedestrians from walking uh, right correct a, a, a police officer can or a barricade but a, you, you can ask someone to stop but they can i guarantee no. you i know new york like the back of my hand yeah. no new yorker is going to stop nope. he's going to go right through and doesn't you know <laughs> no yeah. with some very colorful Especially language morning <laughs> scenes yeah no kidding we had Ooh. a couple like we had a great steady cam operator patrick and there were a couple moments where someone said something a little colorful to me on the way and camera just goes straight up to the sky like we're not seeing any of that this is a netflix show we can't have that in there we'll bring it back down when uh, when we're ready to go but yeah new yorkers are less that we less did calm. the opposite though with you cat when we did the when matt wanted to get a scene of you walking through a crowded street yeah, so we literally I remember that i was there that day there was three of it was a camera operator, a grip, Matt, myself, and a costume person. Mm-hmm. And we just threw you in morning traffic, yep. morning rush hour pedestrian traffic, yep. but mostly them all going the other way. Yeah. So that they weren't looking at the camera and it worked. It was like the opposite work and nobody cared because no, they were great. just in a rush to get to work. Yeah. Cause there's a, you know, you put up a little sandwich placard on the street that says, we didn't even do that. Oh, you didn't? I thought, I thought I was No, we literally, did. we literally created a wedge behind the camera of our bodies so people would have to go around it. Oh my God. Past you. So wow. for the, the listeners at home, this was the scene where in, I think it's season two, episode one, when Clary has decided to run away from 
the shadow world because she feels like she doesn't belong anywhere and run Fucking back Clary. to the Brooklyn Academy of Art. I know she loves to run what away from various times. Um, but it was by Union Station in Toronto downtown, which as you know, if anyone has ever been to Toronto or has ever been near a Union Station in any city in the morning, yeah. it's so the streets are packed and you know, you can't, you can't get between people's shoulders. And it made for such a, an amazing scene. Cause you just had this sea of coats and people and faces and, uh, yeah, I remember it was, it was such kind of guerrilla filmmaking, but in the best way. Us and two vans, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love that though. We've again, we've said on this podcast, we're sort of approaching the end of this season now, so we've we've yeah. talked extensively about the show. So if I'm repeating myself, listeners, I apologize. But we've spoken quite extensively about the the difference between shooting, for example, on a green screen, especially the 360 green screen, which is quite hard work because on a show like ours is very hard work because we're imagining these things that we haven't <laughs> even seen. It's not like a dragon. It's yeah. like a mythical beast and we don't know what the fuck that thing's going to look like. So you're imagining this thing mm-hmm. or this world or whatever, you know, Eden, whatever it is, we have no concept of what that's going to look like, um, which is really hard work. And it, at least for me, the most exciting days are out on the street there because I can see everything. I can visualize everything. And it takes that, this little element of difficulty out of my work day. Um, mm-hmm. It adds difficulty to your work day. I'm sure, but it, it takes a little out of <laughs> mind. Employed. It keeps you employed. Yeah, yeah. but it, the, the, the true the location becomes a character in the story. It does. For and sure. if you think of like iconic movies and iconic scenes where they take place, even if it's fictitiously, you know, created like Toronto became New York, yeah. it's still a character and everything. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, if for anyone who's read the books and for anyone who you know has watched the show. The city of New York in in any piece of media becomes such a huge character in it and and mm-hmm. takes on kind of a life of its own and uh, is a you know mythical being in and of itself. But yeah, I, you no know kidding. it felt as though, and I'm sure this is largely due to you. We found such a great rhythm on the show of having most of the time in studio and on stages when we had our own space and our own stuff, and then having being able to use the rest of our resources to go out and do some really major huge locations. And, you know, I, I didn't know this when I moved to Toronto, but even some of the locations we used in the pilot, like the distillery district and that nightclub and all those things, those are pretty prominent and usually very busy Toronto locations. Oh, yeah. I'm bad. Yeah, I won't that lie and say when, when, the, yeah, the, um, when the distillery district was pitched by McGee, a lot of us just kind of hung our heads going, yeah. okay, oh, it's a no. real pain to go there. Yeah. But fine because well, for those who don't know it it was an old distillery that got gentrified that's surrounded by condominiums and shops and restaurants it's the residence that's always an issue yeah. but we we, did, we made it work it was just it wasn't our favorite place to pitch mm. truthfully the hardest day on, on the first episode was the pre-shoot day the park we were in was just the, the, oh, see, i don't even yeah. think that even i don't even know remember if i haven't even made it but that was like we had a pre-shoot day of a clary flashback with a demon coming out of water that was yeah yeah it's in the, that the fountain didn't work yeah, yeah, and we yeah. had to we had to bring in a. We had to literally crack a fire hydrant to put water in this thing. No again. way! Yeah, yeah. The, the actual mechanics of the park's fountain didn't work. They couldn't get water to it, so we actually <laughs> got to crack a hydrant with permission and run a hose yeah. to fill this thing up. <laughs> wow! Um, but the nightclub. You mean the nightclub with the incessant fire alarm that kept going off? Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten um, about that. That's right. Oh yeah, three times that one night because yeah. sm- every time they opened the doors, the smoke would. Uh, Below the atmospheric smoke that we use to make everything look pretty and sexy, when you you go, you, you fill the room, so it's like a pressured room. And we open the doors, that smoke fly would fly out and go two floors up in the in the same building, go into the intake and set off the fire alarm. 
because the owner of the building didn't want to disable the system until the third call from the fire department. And then he flicked the switch. Right. Wild. But that was, yeah, finding the club was interesting because we tried to avoid certain things from the, from the movie. So it's a different, like we found about the club we were in had the little alleyway and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to jump ahead to the the last episode. I really fought. I, I wasn't on the last two. I was kind of there free. I was doing another show waiting for season four to get greenlit right. yeah. and it didn't right. i was in the same building doing this horrible christmas movie for freeform <laughs> i couldn't leave so i was still kind of involved and when i saw the last two scripts i kept arguing that the very very last scene of the show should have been in the same alley from the first episode of the nightclub that would have been, been nice I saying, it's this it's that the end is the beginning is the end yeah and it just never ended up happening because of their schedule and i, I kept <sighs> arguing with them going it, just, it makes more sense even todd agreed but it just wouldn't work just couldn't figure it bummer. out yeah that happens a lot. There's stuff that we really think might work in pitch and it gets being creative and, and it's other people's inputs. Other things end up being decided. There's so yeah. many voices. It's yeah. nuts. Like it's, you know, auditioning for us is, is a, sort of a similar process. Like you impress one person who's normally the first person you meet, like a casting director or a casting associate. Great. You've impressed that person. Then maybe you impress a series of producers or the director, but then there's the money people. Then there's like the heads of the studio, the heads of the network. Like there's these groups. Tests. Do you remember what tests used to be like? Our test for Shadowhunters? I miss You sit it. in a theater. You sit yeah. in like an auditorium and you have 40 people who work for Disney and Freeform and then people who work for Constantine. All of the people who have these sort of career defining moments in their hands. And if one of them says no, the, that is then thrown into question. It's a real big like, mm, we don't know. And it's it's I mean, nightmare. I prefer that. Yeah, I prefer that to the Zoom screen test. I prefer it to Zooms, but now I'm sort of getting into a bit of a rhythm with Zoom, I think. I'm like, yeah. anyway, that's boring. That's This isn't about John. We need to <laughs> we'll talk, talk more about, about that John. another time. We won't waste your time with that, John. The, during COVID, I was on a show. We decided to do an in-person production meeting with COVID protocols, oh, which wow. basically involved 75 of us standing in a studio around the perimeter yelling at one another. That is We went back hysterical. to Zoom very quickly. Yeah, I'm I bet sure. so. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. 
In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with the season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. how one gets to be a location manager. How did you find this career path and what, what led you to this job? Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm gonna have to go back in time. I was living the dream, living take, in my parents' basement, take living in my on. parents' basement, working in a record store, if you can remember what those were. Wow. Oh yeah, highlight. Um, my sister actually was in the film industry for a while as an assistant director and she was on a TV show where they had fired their fifth office pin and said, well, my brother can do it if these people can. So that's how I got into the business. And I didn't know what I wanted to be. And my office was next to the locations office and they all sounded like they were, you know, batshit crazy and having a lot of fun. And I started talking to them. And the first job I got, you start at the bottom, like as a location PA, setting up tables, chairs, garbage cans. The, the first job I was given was given by a location manager named Richard Hughes, who was the other location manager on Shadowhunters because yeah. I made them hire him. So that was it. I, I just started, I fell into it. Um, I did a good job. People started hiring me more. Someone on a show once said, hey, do you know how to location scout? And I went, no. And they went, well, you grab a camera and take some photos. So I scouted for a long time, worked my way up to an assistant location manager. And then funny enough, while I was waiting to start officially, because I scouted for the movie in pre-production, took the directors around and then there was a lull until they were going to get green lit. I, that was where I actually got, got an offer to location manage my first show ever, which was a show for Netflix called Hemlock Grove. Oh, cool. It, it, oh, yeah. it kind of just fell into it and, it, and, you know, I have an aptitude for it, I guess. And yeah. it's something I enjoy doing and, you know, what was going to be a, a part-time job just to make some money has now been a 25 year career. Wow. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I like the puzzle. I like the creative puzzle and then the logistical puzzle. Yeah. Cool. So it, like you said, it's, it's, it's a lot of problem solving on both ends and it's a lot yeah. of juggling because people have to realize while we're doing one day, we're also setting up three more mm-hmm. and then, you know, wrapping out yesterday. So it's a constant movement, especially on yeah. television. Yeah, no like kidding. Once, once well, the ball rolls, you don't have a break. Well. Fuck man. We moved so quickly Oof. on that show. Like for the, for the amount that we did with, like you know flat packing sets so like indoors for people listening at home indoors when these sets are all so inside they look spectacular they look like the room like it's absolutely amazing the second you leave them they are like plywood <laughs> like there's like nails <laughs> sticking out and they're all designed to go completely flat very quickly go in the back of a truck and then go to somewhere else that's what they're designed to do and so we had that with sets coming up and down we had the stunts we had cgi everywhere and i think the longest episode well the longest episode other than the pilot which took a month but we never spent more than two weeks on an episode 
which is insane yeah, yeah. when you think they about were eight it. Days, like absolutely right? insane. Eight episodes, yes, sixteen days per episode. Six, eight to get it ready, eight to get it done. And yeah. people realize, although you have eight days to get it ready, you really only have six. Yeah, because yeah. if by day seven and eight you're not ready to have to lock everything in, you're yeah, because six and seven <laughs> or five and six would be like your tech scouts, right? Like you're actually physically going to oh, the yeah, place easily. And so, you know, you're lucky on season one, it was, a you know, you get the, the earlier we get scripts that everyone gets them, the better it is for us, mm-hmm. the more we can get ahead of things. But then, you know, we don't see the director of that episode until the first day of prep and he might have different ideas for everything that we've already agreed on. Oh, yeah, um, We were lucky on Shadowhunters that we didn't have that much, but I've been on some shows where the director walks in and everything gets wiped out that you'd spent the last two weeks pre-planning because oh, he's got a different idea. Can you but, imagine? Um, hmm. Oh my what a nightmare! You have the uh, patience of a saint. Show I worked on so. that I will not, I will not name. But the, the this, this director, that was what he was known for, and he enjoyed doing it. He enjoyed coming in and causing chaos, and he would just sit there and giggle. Ugh. We have no room for chaos goblins in television. No, no, no. no, well, no we were, you know, we were lucky. I mean, we had scripts as early as we could. Um, season three was even better because mm-hmm. I was at that point. Uh, I, you know, we knew Todd Darren. I'd, I'd met the writers at Comic Con. They actually gave me access to their notes, so I was one of the few people that had knew more about what you guys were going to go through than anybody else. Cause yeah. I actually had access to hand, their handwritten notes and their, their, their actual wow. meetings just cause where it gets more collaborative is nothing worse than we get a script and it's like, well, we really don't have that. Right. Mm-hmm. If we can pitch, like, tell me what you're looking for. We could pitch something else. Right. Cause there was an episode where they wanted to shoot it on the Staten Island ferry. And I'm like, we don't have the Staten Island ferry. No. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and I remember it getting size. mixed yeah. and I remember it being like, oh fuck, that would have been no, really it ended up cool. becoming a, a cemetery. Yeah, yeah. It was the cemetery in the end. Yeah. And then there were some scenes where it's like, it's you know, how many times can we be in a park? Can right. we just think of something right. else? Right. Yeah. The, the, the best example is that one season that we ended up shooting at the St. Lawrence Market. Oh, yeah. That was actually scripted to be in a park. Oh, wait, I remember this. It was in a park and we were driving with Matt. We were driving on a location scale back to look at some stuff. Yeah. It was Mike McMurray, myself. It wasn't actually Mike. Was, I can't remember who was DPing that. Um, but Matt was in the van. We drove by St. Lawrence Market. He went, what's that? St. Lawrence Market. You want to go take a look? Sure. And he looked at me and can we film her? I went, yeah, they're closed on Mondays. Can, them, can we shoot? And yeah. we did. We ended up changing that whole scene to be in that market with, you know, flying demons and stalls being broken open. Well, and yeah. that ended up being so much cooler. I don't know if you remember, Don, that was the scene that um, there was the big wraith demon that I was chasing down Yeah, you down want and me to come and get me, right? The big, yeah, yeah, the yeah. big trailer line. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. But even even the werewolf being tossed into the cabinet, the, the windows being smashed, there was so much that came out of just one spot that we drove by and thought this would work better than yeah. a park. And yeah. see, I love what you mentioned about the writer's notes, because this is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast. But that's just another example of, you know, often on TV shows, people don't end up sharing or in anything in entertainment or most workplaces. People don't often share resources or information mm-hmm. as much as they could. But simply by telling you what's going on and keeping you in the loop and giving you information and and having that sort of round table open door policy that we had on Shadowhunters with all the departments it added so much to the show and it allowed everyone to do work that was so much more elevated because we were just informed and that's you know that's something that that I wish was more common of you know just Having anyone being able to get information, Any industry, whether just in life, yeah. honestly, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I agree. But it, it just sh- shows how it can be when it's co- fully collaborative. Yeah. It just becomes more enjoyable, more of an art form, more of everyone putting the best they can out there. Even like the garden season three, that was two months of us trying to figure out what that was going to be. Between mm-hmm. is it this set? Is it that? Do we build it? What do we need? And then settled on the ruins that we ended up being at. 
That's so cool. Amazing. That actually, so that collaboration leads me to my next question. So talking, so again, people at home, there are many, many instances where we've built a set and the set has a front door. So as soon as you leave that front door, you're outside somewhere. And that has to be, (laughs) unless we build an outside set, that has to be which the Hunter's Moon had, you know, we built that entire street, which is incredible. Like the Mm -hmm. whole street of Chinatown, like, like two blocks each way or a block each way, which is just fucking wild. Um, But like the Jade Wolf is a good example. When you leave the set of the Jade Wolf, you're on the docks, which is outside, which obviously for us was uh, relatively easy. But what is that like? What is that dance with you between a set deck, right? Like I imagine those guys, or not set deck, who who builds sets? What department builds sets? I mean, construction based on the art department, but usually the question is when they go outside, what is outside? So, right. You know, and it, usually you try to go to the script to pull out as much information. What city is it in? Where does it take place? What's around there? And if you can't, then that's when you have conversations with the showrunners, mm-hmm. you know, other producers, the designer. You know, where in, because it was New York, where in New York is this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what does it want to look like? Like, which part of the city are we thinking of? Because that even drives things like the subway set. What subway sign will be on there? So you walk out a door, you know, let's take season one, the loft yeah. and the antique shop, which is a place that we all hated. Um, <laughs> we needed a two-story building that looked interesting. And we actually found this wretched place that the owner was a hoarder on the third floor. But thankfully, we never went back there again. Oh God, and that's it was, right. I remember yeah. that. It, like, you turned up and it was a yeah. nightmare, right? Yeah. He no longer lives there. And it's now being turned into some swanky uh, condominium with still maintaining the base of it. But yeah, that's like what is outside is just as important look-wise because it also drives what set deck will dress it as, mm-hmm. what you know, picture cars will be there. Cause that, I mean, I spent a lot of time in New York and I was always arguing, well, if we're in Brooklyn, the caps can't be yellow. They're supposed to be green. Cause you get the stock cars that are, you know, and they're not crown Vicks, they're this. So if you wanted to make it real, you really kind of get a sense of where, like, you know, where was the Institute? Which mm-hmm. church is it really supposed to be? Right. Are we going by what's in the books? Are we going by what we decided by the stock shots that we bought? Right. Um, Cause that drives everything. So it's, yeah, even just opening the door becomes a big a thing. A huge thing, yeah. right? I did a movie um, where it's not out. Well, actually it was all done on location. We weren't in the studio at all. We had two different sets for breaching and clearing a, a room. We played a U.S. Marshal, so breaching and clearing a room, and then we go down into the basement. So the upstairs room was one set, and the basement was a completely different place. And when we got there, oh, wow. we realized that the door opened the other way. <gasps> we were like, fuck, this is a real fucking problem because we can't change it. There's nothing we can do. If, go and rewatch the movie. The door is, they took it completely off the hinges and it's just rested already open oh, on the other uh, side. That's happened to me in the past. We've shot the stage component first, then we go on the location, the door's on the wrong side. Yeah. So we have to repl- re- remove the door. You move yeah, the door. Well, yeah, like if you have yeah. the time, you move I'll the take door. Take it out, hang it the other way. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, yeah. No choice. <laughs> it's, it's, I can't remember if it was Spielberg or um, Scorsese who said recently, it's being on being on a set, being a director, whatever, actor, you know, locations, whatever it is, like it's problem solving. That's what you do, and you need the better you get at it, the the quicker you get at it, the more you're going to progress in your career. Like you get good at solving whatever this issue is. What is this issue? It's a door. Great, we take it off, we put it on the other side. Amazing, done. That problem's taken care of. You know, is it nighttime or daytime? We need to fix that problem. Okay, great, we do it like this, and it's fixed. You know. Oh, and yeah. that's sort uh, of at the times what that we, on set. other shows you show up on a set and the director goes, Oh, I don't want to look that way anymore. I want to look that way. <laughs> and it's just, we're not set. Okay, great. How do we do that yeah. quickly? Mm-hmm. Or an actor comes on set and goes, I just feel like I need to walk over here on this line. Mm-hmm. 
And everyone's <laughs> the going. The face of knowing from John is just, yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. Uh-huh. yep. Uh-huh. Every time. But I, I mean, I did a show where I did a show where our director of photography wasn't able to ever come scouting with us. And he would show up each day going, why are we here? Well, we're no that. Well, I don't like that. I, I want to be over there. I want to be down the street. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, by the time we show up, that decision has been gone through several people. And right. Several, you know, money has been spent on equipment, yeah. gear, people getting things ready. Yeah. Well, and then the simple things as well, like this. This question then needs to go back to the writers. And we yeah. were in Toronto. The writers were in LA. So if we show up at eight in the morning, it's five in the morning in LA. Yeah. So they're not up yet. So how do we right. answer that yeah. question? Do we wait for five hours and lose a hundred thousand dollars an hour while we're renting this set? Like no. Yeah, that was the funny thing in season one is that the people that were behind it you know behind the scenes hadn't really done episodic television a lot so they didn't see the benefit of having a showrunner or or directing producer I see. and that's right. what the explanation was at six in the morning when we have to figure out whether this is blue or green who are we calling right yeah and they went oh, yeah. huh i'm like well you have to have someone here who can creatively have the power to make that decision you need right. someone who can pull and unless triggers. half those writers are here with us um you know which I, i've been on i did a series called the expanse where half the producing team was always in town so we always had answers oh, amazing. Like right away a very dear friend of mine people. is on the expanse dominique tipper yeah. yes i did yep. one of my first big movies with dominique she's fucking wonderful. and the funny thing was for science one of the producers was actually an astrophysicist oh really? so he actually yeah, he decided he didn't want to do that and wanted to be a movie producer and wow. but he could always answer like all the techie questions right off the bat. We never questioned if he was making it up because we just assumed he was right. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, at that yeah, point. Yeah. You need to have someone there that can make that call. And if, mm-hmm. you know, that's why the directing producer on television shows is such a valuable and, and, and yeah. an important position to have. Absolutely. Like Matt on season two and three just steered the ship from the rocks all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was just so good at being able to just make executive decisions and at any, at any juncture. But on yes. that note, I have to ask, what is and, and it can be maybe on Shadow Hunters, maybe this is a two-part question. On Shadow Hunters and then just in general, what is the wildest problem that you've encountered or thing <laughs> most unique thing you've had to find? And how did you solve the problem? Okay, wildest? There's sure. uh there's, uh, there's two. One was uh I can't remember what show it was. We were gonna film at this really ratty divey house at the end of the day and we found out there was bed bugs in one of the rooms oh no so we had to get we had to get we had to get the bed bugs and it turned out it was in the son's room who was a bit of a slob in the mattress but we had to get an exterminator to come in quickly yeah wow which is hard to do and yeah they found no 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 word of a lie they found a father and son christian exterminating team wow never heard of that before and i mean they got the job done and the crew and the crew was informed and said look if you really don't feel safe then don't go in but we did, did the job the most bizarre one Resident Evil Three. We needed to do a scene on a beach with a helicopter. Okay. Mm-hmm. With a with right a, at the a, beginning, right? Yeah, I've done. I, I'm a. Yeah, I'm an it's RE a flashback nerd. to a scene from another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she walks through an airplane graveyard, and there's a helicopter mm-hmm. and a bunch of flashbacks. The helicopter never flies. The director fell in love with this tree in this beach, three and a half hours away from Toronto in the Sandbank Provincial Park. Uh, the producers. It, fought for us to find another spot that was closer no he had to have this tree this beach and we had been in discussions with the park it's a provincial park like a state-run park with the park superintendent about the plan was we're going to fly this helicopter and land it just because it's easier for us to fly it there than put it on a trailer and crane it mm-hmm. everything was fine about four weeks before we're supposed to film the park superintendent says oh you know you can't land a helicopter there we've been talking about this for five weeks oh i didn't realize that so 
we go back to the producer whose answer was, we'll fix it. So we ended up, we, I was the assistant on the show, ended up going through the park, like park law, literally going through like wow. what's called the Parks Act of Ontario to find out why this, I can land one here and not here. And it was because it was by the water and had a row. It was bizarre stuff, but we found a loophole saying that the minister for Parks and Recreation could amend that law. So then we did. We literally found a way to get someone. It's not easy to get in front of politicians to get it. It turned out someone from Toronto City Council was going to be in a van, a car with them to some conference. And we kind of gave her our notes and they pitched it and explained like, this is, we need to just, this is why we're doing this. And all I remember getting is a phone call from the park superintendent three weeks later going, I don't know what you did, but you got your permission. And there is literally a line in the act that at that time there was a three day window of change. The law was amended for three days only to land a helicopter on this beach. Now, did anyone from the crew know that when they show up? No. Did the producers care? No. no. But at the end of the day, my, my boss and I are like, we changed law. And it's still in there. It's still a little <laughs> byline because obviously with all law things, every all changes are in there. But yeah. we literally had to change provincial law to put a helicopter in the scene. You changed wow. the law of Canada yes. for film. Yeah, changed the law of Ontario. I love that. I'm waiting for a federal <laughs> one. That hasn't yeah, happened yet. That's but the next it's, step it's is the actual federal it's like, law. It's problem solving. It's it, No is an easy answer for people to give. And at some point it might be no, but you just try to find any way to work at it properly. Like we didn't violate anything. We just found that there was a way to change that. Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. And that's, that's the fun of that sort of creativity is. Uh, Fun at the end. Yeah. Very stressful (laughs) during. I'm sure. um, Worried you're going to lose your job um, while it's happening. But yeah, sometimes you do have to go back and say, look, the answer is no. Yeah. There were some times, there's some places I remember on Shadowhunters they wanted to go to and it just didn't work. Mm. We couldn't do what they wanted. You know, you kind of go with it. But we, yeah. we were pretty lucky most times that we either got what we wanted or we were able to creatively find a way out. Well, none of the locations that we were on ever felt as though it was a second choice or felt mm. as though it was makeshift in any way, shape, or form. It, yeah. we, I, no, I, now the, 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 the stress of the beginning of season two was when they said we want to go back to the boat. You know, it was I was going to ask about yeah. the boat. I was yeah. going to ask first about boat the boat. Was, the first boat was sold because there was a good span of time between seasons. Mm-hmm. They had sold it for scrap and it was being hauled, I believe, yeah, to they Turkey. Did and I it. think it sank somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, they that sank it in the lot, Atlantic? It they, yeah, they buy a lot of scrap boats and ship them overseas. And they, they really a buy a ton of insurance on them. How did they get them? it out of the lake? Sometimes they don't make it. How did they get they it out of the lake? They just towed it. For, to where? Totally. Oh, there's just like down a massive river somewhere out in the ocean? So Lake Ontario is the bottom of the Great Lakes. Eventually, if you just kept going east, you get into the St. Lawrence Canal through Montreal and straight out to the Atlantic oh. Ocean. Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't know that. I just assumed it was <laughs> it's like a reservoir. No. Like there's no so, way. So let me know. So cargo, predominantly big ships go to Halifax about Montreal and they stop there to smaller ones like the ones we were on that go to, to Toronto, Hamilton through the ch- canals to Lake Erie. Up to they, wow. they all they go all the way to northern Ontario or you know Minnesota basically yeah. to drop wow. off grain or whatever whatever. So we were lucky to find another ship and hope that no one would notice on that by much that it was a completely different. Vessel. I didn't notice. I was on <laughs> both of those ships. I didn't fucking notice that it was a different. I didn't boat. notice. I think there's there yep. was like a crane missing, or yeah. there or there was a crane on the second. There one was a crane in the second boat. There wasn't yeah. on the first. Yeah. yeah. That's the only thing I noticed, though, because I literally fought underneath it. I had a fight scene under it, and I was like, I don't think this was here before, but I drink a lot, so who knows? Maybe it was, and I just (laughs) missed it. (laughs) I don't know. Well, for any any Shadowhunters folks out there, if anyone ever finds the boat, maybe we'll have to have, like, a, you know, dive to the boat. Yeah, scuba expedition. Yeah, scuba expedition for the 
<laughs> the fun. But tell us, John, tell us more about the boat debacle. So how do you, how, what's the process of finding not one, but two boats that can be used well, to film? Very, very much it was, we were just fortunate at the time that there were these, there was that one, both boats were basically moored for maintenance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, the, both ship lines were open to us coming on there because, I mean, it's it's money for them for literally doing nothing. Yeah. Um, both and both have been film friendly in the past. It just it we're just fra- extremely lucky that both boats were just moored there. Basically, with I think the first one didn't even have an engine. Oh that wow! Disabled. Yeah, it was just tied. It was basically just tied up. Um, and the second one too. It was it was down for repairs that were going to take you know a couple of months. Oh, I see. Wow. Otherwise, we would have had to probably go to like uh, you know the next t- next place over would have been Hamilton that might have had a boat, but just having one in the exact same spot, well, by a couple of feet, yeah. um, was just completely you know good luck for us yeah. to start the season that way. Well, wow. and that just happened to have a beautiful skyline of Toronto that you can delete yes. the the yeah. CN Tower and pop in the Empire State Building, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, my favorite is when shows forget to do that. Yeah, yeah. Across there, like, there's like really? there's so few of them in our show, but every now and then you see like the tea from a Tim Hortons, and I'm like, I ain't got those in New York. Oh no, <laughs> it's it's so when we show stuff on screen, we have to get clearance from the studio right. what names we could show. But the problem is a lot of the clearance that we use is, is from the states, so they don't mm-hmm. recognize Canadian brands. Like I can, there's one scene where you guys are, I think you're walking, and there's a second cup sign, you know, and a Tim Hortons, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we're just like, oh. Oh, really? there you they go. Just they wouldn't let it. They, they didn't have an issue with it, but we're just sitting there going, this just Toronto. I just found this out it, on, I was just working for Netflix. Um, I guess because it's streaming or because Netflix has a deal in particular, I can't remember what the reason was, but they said Netflix doesn't have to, you don't have to do that. You don't have to get clearance for anything. What? We were using iPhones. We were all using Apple products. We didn't have to pay Apple anything. Yeah, clearance, clearance is a weird thing. It's, it's If you line up four clearance people and ask them the same question, you're going to get four different answers. Well, right. Yeah. So if I was to tell you, are you allowed to use Major League Football's names, the players, the teams in a movie? Mm-hmm. You'd say, without their permission, you'd say no. But there's an entire movie called Concussion where they never once asked for permission. Right. And literally, because because they didn't actually lie, it was all factual, they were allowed to get away with it. Wow. Mm. Well, I wonder if that's that must be very fluid now as well, because I know my brother is a, is a coach for the England rugby team in the R&D department. And I know they're bringing in versions of technology now with different things where they talk about things like this, if you do something like this, like if you move forward with this technology, the information from this will belong to the player, not to the club, it will belong to the player directly. So when you start doing like with the movement of things like NFTs and whatever, if you NFT a touchdown from a football team or whatever, then you can't reference that again. You can't reference the guy's name without having to pay them because they have they have monetized their one thing and made it you know theirs, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, it, that's you. Uh, I can't imagine that you're wrong in any way because four different people clearance give four different answers. Us nuts. Yeah, no clearances when they start involving our department. Just it, we just kind of lose our minds because it's really an art. It's someone else to deal with it. I, I can get a sign off from the owner of the building. You want to change the sign? Great, yeah. but please don't ask me to get clearance from right. Subway. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just call it something else. Call it Suddenly, something Alex else. just walking down the street eating a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. he, we had a scene like that. We had a scene in the morning where Matt wanted to finish his coffee, and they were like, "Just drink it in the scene." And like we're walking onto the scene, they were like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" And they ran off and they put a uh, like a heat sleeve on it, <laughs> cover up the logo, whatever the coffee cup was. I'm like, hey, fine, go. Do you think? Yeah. And nobody wants yeah. a Game of Thrones Starbucks moment where they I can only imagine had to pay Starbucks nope. a fortune to get that in. Or to to pay them off, like they it was an accident. 
Yeah. But most times nothing ever happens. Right. It's free, yeah, unless you're some, you're doing something disparagingly with the brand, most companies really don't care. <laughs> They're like, Honestly, it was free advertising. great branding for them. Yeah, like Starbucks, yeah. so yeah. good that it was in a mythical land 1600 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> it's the best advert. Starks Bucks. Starks Bucks. That's very good, cat. Very good. Sometimes, not just a hat rack, you know. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to math and magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. You, John, are one of the the folks on the crew that have really been active on Twitter and with the fandom and all of that. So, as you know, the Shadow Fam is a magical being of its own and they are angels on this earth. So, let's talk a little bit about your experience with the fandom and, uh, you know, being at the comic cons and, and what's, what's that been like for you? Okay. So first and foremost, I am a fan of stuff. Like I, 
know, you we can see. What's behind yeah, that. it's there. Um, <laughs> yeah, sort of, Aren't we? I, I am still, a, a, you know, I consume the content. I attend, you know, New York and San Diego Comic Con. I run a panel at San Diego about location scouting. But it's I would That's it's cool. being immersed in the, within the people that you know pay my salary. But the Shadow Fam, it just they've always been, you know, pleasant. They're, they've got great hearts. I've been happy to meet a few of them, and more than, a lot of them in person, and not just you know they're not rude on social media. They're mm-hmm. engaging. Because I've been at all the appearances, like all three New Yorks, the two San Diegos, and the amount of times I'll get like a, the the worst, not the worst, the weirdest one was the third time at at New York when we were at Madison Square Gardens. They had everyone show up early in corrals, like pens, oh, wow. to keep the line, the queue going. So I was in one of the first ones, and I start getting Twitter notices asking if that's me there, and I'm like, yes. And, and people were they're respectful, and I'm not to start pointing out that I'm in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Not that I wouldn't mind, but They've been great. I still communicate with quite a few of them. Half my Instagram is Shadowhunters fans. Um, There was a time it turned out I was in London for a conference when you guys had a convention and ended up meeting a few people that I'd met before. Oh, nice. Uh, They're great. I still stay in touch with a few of them. I mean, I I still send them Christmas cards, some of them Christmas cards. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Aww. Yeah. I mean, they've they've been good to me and it's been fun being part of the community. I love the Shadow fam. They're just, they're great. I mean, I, I can never say, you know, I know the, the definition of, you know, fan comes from fanatic, but it does. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily the, the apt definition anymore. I think the, no. the I, I mean, we can, and I both have experienced our fair share of, of the fanatic version of it, which is, and I, with, I don't know if it's the same with you, Kat, but with me very often it's, it's partners that get the rough end of it. Like wow. my, my girlfriend gets the rough end of it every now and then and then you sort of go through it and you go this is like three people of the millions that we've met and the millions that watch the show over the course of like i'm not gonna and i'm sort of I, this is my old age coming through and so uh, my gray hairs are uh, adding to my knowledge i i saw this thing recently as i i'm not gonna give you i'm not giving you the privilege to take away any of my happiness you don't deserve that there's so many people who strive for our happiness and we strive for theirs and just makes the world go round the full yin and yang of the world these this this minute percentage of people that want to be negative in some way i'm not giving you permission to take my happiness away from you anymore no that's not yours you don't get that privilege it's not for you and like you say, the the vast majority of people have been so supportive. Without whom, we wouldn't be here. Not only doing the podcast, we wouldn't have done the show. The show wouldn't have it's kept true. going yeah. without people who enjoyed yeah. it. It's true. And that was always the fun of going to all those conventions and seeing the fan base grow. Mm-hmm. You know, moving from the basement of the Javits to that is Square Gardens, yeah. and that many people just that it, that loved the show were involved in it. It's it's still great when I go into a convention and still see people dressed up. Yeah, it's like phenomenal. The both of you. It's so yeah. wild. Well, and, and wild. what's incredible too is that, you know, you get to see over the years, Dom and I have met, and I'm sure you too have seen this. We've met so many folks who, you know, they were 14 or 15 or 12 when we first met them. And now we still, every year we go to conventions or see on Twitter, we get to hear about their, you know, university or their jobs or the mm-hmm. progress they've made in their life or get to watch these people grow into themselves in so many amazing ways and see the fandom support them and see these friendships grow and blossom and, and, and develop you know, new through people like people who, and develop. Yeah. yeah. Like people who've connected through a mutual love of the, either these stories or, 
you know, what you guys did, the locations, whatever it is, like the, seeing people develop these relationships within that is really sweet. Like we've seen people get into romantic relationships from yeah. like two people who are separate at these conventions that we've gone to. And then all of a sudden they're holding hands and we're like on a panel, like, hey, are those two? I think those two are yeah, hanging out now. And then they ask us a question. I'm like, shit, I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> so paying attention to whatever's going <laughs> yeah, on here. But it's, it's, it's a fandom that's never, like on most, of the, I've never had been on a show that had it that was such passion and mm -hmm. became its own community and published books and stuck together yeah. and you know just the whole campaign to try to save the show yeah. still we still have a bench in new york in central park that's dedicated to us which is wild i haven't seen yeah. i still haven't seen that i used to walk down there all the time it's Aww. it's it's humbling it is humbling, it's yeah. isn't like it it's, it really is because i've walked past it a few times and it's like that's just odd but in yeah. a great way like mm -hmm. nothing i've worked on has a bench that that that, that the studio realized how much fandom loved the show, a mm -hmm. product, and decided to put money towards something. Well, that's mm -hmm. why we came up with that idea. You know, I was, it was, we were ending the show and I was talking to Harry about it. And we we're like, well, what if we did, you know, what if we did this and, and made a, a, you know, not a monument, but a, a spot that people could go and remember the show in the place that it existed. And the studio was kind enough to help out. So it, you know, it yeah. oh, made a big difference. That. I didn't realize the studio yeah. put towards it. That's really nice. Yeah. Freeform came in and helped us with it because it, you That's know, it's really not, sweet. it's not a small expenditure. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I'm sure no, but it's, it's, it's also a place where fans can always know where to meet when they're in, if yeah. they want. It, it's so just, we, it's a we did it tribute. recently. I was gone already from New York, but we we did it the, at this convention. We had a convention that sort of fell apart. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm aware. I yeah. had my plane ticket and hotel, and I had already checked the flight in, and it was literally that morning when I'm watching, I'm getting tweets from fans that know mm -hmm. me, and I'm like, what's going? Okay. And I reached out. I'm like, I have this ticket. I could go. I just feel guilty because it's your money that I'm going to be totally. spending. So try to be supportive on so what you guys did there was brilliant you, i was you know making lemonade that's really all we did but the, so the first day i met fans in the hotel and then i left because i had to go to a bachelor party i was only supposed to do that one day anyway and then the next day everyone met around the bench uh, that's where anna and everyone went and go, went and saw everyone was like look we're going to meet around the bench let's go and hang out and you know do what we can um, and it was nice. Yeah. I mean, it was mental. It was a mental, <laughs> mental thing to happen, but it was nice to have, like you say, this is, this is sort of our spot in, in well, New York, which is that cool. was big, that could have been what that was horrible. At least something good came out of it. Exactly. Yeah. That's what the shadow fam does. You know, anytime yeah, exactly. something happens, good or bad, they always find a way to make something good out of it. And I will forever be in awe of, of yeah, this totally community not. john i gotta ask what are your favorite locations like i don't want to say one because that seems like an impossible look at me like trying to do stuff on my on my laptop whilst also speaking into microphone i look like a fucking idiot um let's say top top two or top three is that too much you're gonna hate the first one no 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 because anyone who knows me in town is gonna expect the answer um i am a very big fan of of the former hern generating generator oh, station fuck that Fuck the Hearn. How have we not spoken okay, about the it Hearn looks yet? Beautiful. It looks it amazing. It, I, it looks beautiful. I've spent, a, I've spent a massive amount of my career in that building. Everyone has. It's but so funny. We had Zach Levi. Do you remember when we saw Zach Levi come up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was like, we're filming in this place tomorrow. It's, it's like the her, the Heron or the Hearn. And I was like, you're filming in the we're Hearn. Like, oh, no. He was like, dude, I'm in the super suit. I was like, I don't know what to tell you, bro. <laughs> Try and stay yeah. as warm I as you can. I worked nah. on a show where we, we rented it for a year. No. What show was that? The second season of C for Apple TV. 
It only no appears way. in the first couple of episodes. Oh. We literally built where those columns are, like where the, the tunnel aspect of it is. Yeah. We literally turned that into te- 10 blocks of a city 400 years in the future that with like two-story buildings and rope wires. and 400 wow. years in the future? So uh, the C was the Jason Momoa series yeah. on Apple where there's a viral, a plague that turns everybody blind. And then you now cut into the future where everyone's basically blind and beating each other with swords and sticks. Oh, man. I like, their technology I doesn't really exist. Show. It's all... That sounds like a cool show. It, yeah. yeah. The first season was shot in Vancouver. They did season two and three in Ontario. Um, but the idea was it was an entire world where everyone is sightless. So, you know, there's ropes where they can use their sticks to get around. Oh. And the designer, it was, it was actually another show where we were all very open and collaborative and creative because we were building a world. Mm. But they needed this big space that worked. And the designer came in and the producers, they loved the space because we could build a world. It is. I mean, it is It is gothically beautiful and can become anything, really. Is, bad, it, is it the prettiest place in the world? No, but I. you take any director in that place, they all lose their minds. Well, it's totally. just the way the light bounces, and there's so many lines and angles and shadows mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, even, even season one, we used the outside for Renwick's. Yeah. We needed a building mm-hmm. that looked yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It has multiple of looks. That's, that's why I like it. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, the conservation area that we did, Lake Lynn, and also the garden, Rockwood, mm-hmm. is another favorite of mine just because topographically it's very different. It always looks good on camera. The ruins work great. The whole Lake Lynn thing. We were up there We were up there for like a week, weren't we? Um, yeah, yeah. And it was just like every day was gorgeous. We'd get there in the mornings and like the ice had covered everything. There were like ferrets running across the ice. And it was just like it was the most breathtakingly beautiful place. And then the ice melted and we got to see the lake and... Oh, it was absolutely stunning. Yeah. And we got to go back and spend two nights with fake snow and cat yep. in the red gown. Well, and even the, um, there was that one scene we were chasing at golden hour at sunset with that fight scene in the woods mm-hmm. and just the way that the sun was setting through the trees and how the drone got to drive through and everything. Yeah. It just, the it drone got to drive and limestone yeah, parsed rock. The air. It just, it looks great. Yeah. So fly, air drive. it got to fly. Yes. That's the word you're looking for. Catherine. Drive on air. Or fly. Good I don't Lord. know. I'm not a drone operator. I don't know the terminology. If I had to pick two, those would be the two. But we we were lucky to be in a lot of really visually great places that yeah. just worked. Yeah. Well, all um, thanks to you, clearly. Yeah. Thanks to I'm I'm one of many many people that make it all happen. I mean, I thanks to you and your team department then, that I works guess. with yeah. me. But even then, it's just you know what's on screen. It's it's the set dressing. It's the cinematography. It's the special effects. We're all cogs in this machine that put this tableau mm-hmm. up there. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got to marry up. Yeah, that's what the heart and soul of Shadowhunters was. Everyone committed to that. You know, I'm, you know, being a cog in the machine, but also trying to help the machine run better simultaneously. And uh, I think that's why you see so many incredible things happen in that show. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, like I said, even this, you know, the the church that we did with the Church of Talta with that ballroom scene that we had to dress every single time we went into that place. Oh my God, that's right. Yes, yeah. that was. I got to see so little of that because I had the fucking head on the whole time. I could see like yeah, this yeah, much yeah. through the eyes. Yeah. I, I could. We had to dress and build that every time. Oh my god, that's right. But oddly enough, we that was a recycled location. That was the same one we used in the very first episode as the Brooklyn Academy of Art. No, it oh, wasn't. Wow. Was it really? Yep. That was wow. the same, same set? church, same yeah. building. I had no idea. That's insane. Wow, unbelievable. Like I say, Again, I saw was, very little. We were asked to find something in Matt's eyes that was a decrepit ballroom, and we just couldn't find anything that worked perfectly. But this 
we could make that space work. Yeah. And I mean, I remember it took them like eight hours of just putting the cobwebs in. Yeah. Wow. Cobwebs. Of, so every time they, every time it appeared in the script again, it was just like, oh lord, oh no. We have the to do it again because you want tell... it to look. Well, it's it's more just having to match what was seen before. Totally. Right. And tell John, tell tell the people at home how you do cobwebs because obviously we don't it's fucking leave weird spiders. Gun hose that's like it's like this nozzle. It's almost like a, a insulating foam sprayer, and they just sprays out like strands of I don't know what the it's liquid glue. is, and it dries up. It's yeah, it's like hot this. glue being injected. Yeah, yeah. Wait, it's like a I, hot glue wait. gun. <laughs> I didn't know this because the cobwebs there were like over everything from mm-hmm. the air coming down it was and it was like two guys in respirators just spraying all this stuff yeah and then someone had to come in with dust to age it all and dust it oh i remember the dust we had i don't know if mm-hmm. you, you remember dom in lilith's apartment everything oh, yeah. was covered in a layer of dust and had to be yes. redusted constantly uh, all the time like when you take and a we couldn't step just shake the rafters yeah no i guess <laughs> <laughs> the rafters. Yeah, that's right oh man yeah no kidding well john thank you so much for joining us before we let you go i do i just want to ask what's what's next what's coming up what are you headed towards or what do you want to do what's like the answer both um (laughs) me too uh my dream job went to new york this year i can't say it out loud there was a marvel show that was going to be coming up here that wow because the cast didn't want to relocate and end up going to new york um they don't I'm, know Toronto. I'm, Toronto's amazing. Yeah, the studio was all for it. It was just the the one one of the key actors really is insisted on not leaving New York City. Got it. Mm. I can't shame. fault him. I guess. I'm happy to be. I'm you know content to be employed. Yeah. Uh, I you know I've been lucky enough to to be consistently working. It's just a bit of a, a quiet time right now, so I'm just waiting to see what's next. Yeah. It's a couple of projects I'm waiting to see whether they're ready to go, and I can. It's so funny trying to explain to people like what a quiet period is. Like people not in the industry who are like, "Oh, I just heard that they're doing this. You should audition for this." And I'm like, "Yeah, you just hearing that it's happening means it's like in the beginning stages of pre-production. I'm that's not going to hit my desk for a year." You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not going to start filming for a year and a half. Like there's or two years even. Like that's not. It's just not how this works. January. Or by the time you've heard it, they've already started. Quite exactly. Yeah. Or, or it's exactly. already in the can yeah, and just exactly. sitting there. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. They're like. Well, that's oh, the thing this. is, it's pre-pandemic. We had the artificial streaming boom, which is why it was it was busy, mm-hmm. and then COVID hit, and then afterwards it was just insanity. And now we've gone back to what the rhythm used to be. I mean, I've been doing this long enough to know December, January, you don't really work. February, March, it's cyclical. Starts to pick up. So, yeah. Just getting back used to that. Yeah. But Good you know, stuff, the pandemic man. changed was Yeah, it changed quite a lot. You know. Well, I was in the we were in the middle of a show. Wow. We yeah. dropped tools. I was they kept me employed part-time the whole time because we literally just walked away from million dollar sets. Holy moly. Wow. That were all out like C was a very huge show with a lot mm. of massive sets that were built. They just walked away. And then we came back and hellishly took what was supposed to be a television series. And decided we wanted to shoot it with one director and do it like a feature. Oof. Mm. How many episodes did you do? Eight. Okay. 16 wow. days each. So we also then had season two, they decided, okay, we're gonna block, we're gonna block shoot it like a t- like a feature. So 174 days. Uh by the way, you have four weeks of prep. Wow. Holy moly. Well, Jason Momoa's schedule was so tight that we had to shoot sure. them up too. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a slog. I mean, that was a, that, that job. Those two seasons was uh, twenty seven months of work. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but hey, working. You know, working. Somehow working. you accomplished it, though. That's the thing. The film television. You know, again, it was a huge show with big explosions and big stuff, and you know, we were outside a lot, which was nice, especially in the winter. 
Yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah, I can't quite wow. describe it to people. Like shooting in New York and they're bringing me my jacket every time it like gets close to zero Celsius. I'm like, don't worry about it, guys. Yeah. Four years. I did four <laughs> years in Toronto. Don't well, worry about it. So I, yeah. there's a conference in London, a location conference in London called Focus. I go to every year because I, I cool. belong to a trade association. And I, it's in the first week. It's, usually it's the first Monday, and t- uh, Tuesday, and Wednesday of December. Mm-hmm. And I show up there and, and everyone there is in these thick winter coats. And I'm like... It's the springtime. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. It's nice. Yeah. You're in your shorts, like ready to go for the beach. Like you're wearing a Canada snow goose. I don't even own one of those. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was in Santa Fe shooting, you know, a Western this year. And yes, it's cold, but, you know, I'm wearing so much fabric on that show. I'm like, guys, come on. I have so many layers. This is, this is nothing. This is balmy. I was was in Atlanta right before Christmas and it was everyone there is complaining how cold it is. And like... it's one degree Celsius. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. we're good. Yeah, don't worry about yeah, it. Anyway, John, thank you so much for, for being a part My of pleasure. this with us. Thank you for Anytime. coming on and sharing your stories. Um, we really appreciate it. I mean, for us, it means such a such a lot because people get this insight about the geniuses who really put this show together. So yeah. thank you for not only being on the podcast, but for being such an integral part of our show. No. absolutely it's, it's and been it's my it's, pleasure it's been a highlight for me it means so much to share these stories because dom and i can talk about it all we want and be like oh john told us this and john said that and he did this thing but to hear it from you and to hear your perspective and your insight it it and i learned so much today thanks so mm-hmm. much i'm happy to talk about this show anytime if you ever have questions and complaints about why we shot stuff in war i can always give you the answer <laughs> you know what next time we do a yeah. mailbag episode all right, Please. Angels, here's the deal. Next time we do a mailbag episode, if you have any questions I for John, let us know. I can tell you all the dirty drama that was in decisions <laughs> for what was made and when and where and why certain people. If people understand, I get we're, we're start up early enough that we're there when they discuss why certain people get hired. Wow. <laughs> do we yeah. want to know? in season one, there was a lot of drama in season one. That thankfully I remember. Away. Yep. Uh-huh. Some of it. Yep. That's why certain people weren't asked back. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go and we've got another episode to film right after this but again john All thank right. you so much thank you john well, thank Have you such for doing day. this you too bye Turn to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by me, Dominic Sherwood, and Catherine McNamara. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. Our producer is Hannah Harris and Kristen Vermilia. And our intern is Sam Katz. Original music by Alex Kinsey, performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara. And the episode was mixed by Seth Alansky. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. 
Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was boarded! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.